Hey, wrestling fans, this is the headliner, Chris Michaels, and you're listening to Give Me Back My Pro Wrestling. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. Hey, guys, this is Wolfie D from PG-13. Check out my podcast, Live and in Color, with Wolfie D every Monday at noon. We're talking Memphis. We're talking ECW, WCW, WWF, everywhere that I've been. We even have some great guests, some Hall of Famers on the show with us. Every Monday, Live and in Color with Wolfie D. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Give Me Back My Pro Wrestling. humanoids thanks for coming back to the give me back my pro wrestling podcast now it's time for someone who actually uh knows what it's like to take a bump knows what the canvas feels like and i've always heard they have a unique smell as well and that is the headliner chris michaels chris are you there i'm here chris i hear that you're a fellow kentuckian like myself absolutely all right well (laughs) see there you go jimmy are you uh, Okay, we've had one guest, I think, so far who who didn't have that southern draw, right? Or no, I'm sorry, we had two: Evil East right. and maybe uh, Flynn, right? Flynn, Flynn. Hendricks. Yeah, yeah Flynn so those, those, are the, those yeah. are the two I think. Yeah, he probably does. Well, it's I kind of say Warsh and stuff still too, but yeah. Anyway, Chris, uh, I know you and Jimmy go back a little ways, so I'm going to let him kind of uh, take the reins on this one. Sounds great. All right, sorry, I, I gotta keep you I gotta, having me on. Oh, no, we appreciate you being here, but I'm sorry. I got to throw you into his hands now. Oh, man. Yeah. It's okay. (laughs) (laughs) To start off, Chris, you are one of the people that if I were to say, let's draw a pro wrestler, you would draw Chris Michaels, the headliner Chris Michaels. Now, you've been Chris Comet. You've been High Flying Chris Klein. You've been all kinds, but you are Franklin, Kentucky's own Chris Michaels. Now, I met you in the, I think it was either for Burt, one of Burt's shows for USA Championship or Saw. I can't remember, one of the two. But you started way before that. Now, when I met you, I think it would have probably been 2011. So you had already probably been going for 20 years at that point. Am I right about that? I started in uh, late 89. Okay, so even 22 years. Gotcha. Okay, so talk about that, man. Talk about your start. Uh, you know, growing up, uh, my dad worked all the time. He was hardly ever home. It was just me and my mom. And uh, we would get up on Saturday mornings and would catch uh, Saturday morning wrestling, which would be the uh, Memphis stuff with Jerry Lawler and uh, Lance Russell, Dave Brown, all those guys. And, uh, that's kind of what I grew up on. And then, you know, as I got older, uh, got into sports, I played a lot of baseball and, uh, was all into that. So I kind of quit watching it for a bit, but once I got around, um, I don't know, 14, 15, 16 years old, uh, Saturday evenings, I got to watching Crockett's, you know, Ric Flair, the uh, 
Sting, Rock and Roll, Arn Anderson, Four Horsemen, all that stuff. I'd watch that before I'd go hang out with my friends. Yeah. And then that's when um, I think is Wrestle War '89 came to Nashville. Yeah. And my stepmom gave me and my stepbrother tickets to go see it, and that's when Flair and Steamboat had that last match mm-hmm. for the world title, and Flair took it back. And oh yeah. Yeah, that right there kind of intrigued me to want to do it. And then it was just a few months after I met a girl in my homeroom who had just moved there from Texas, said her dad was a pro wrestler and was going to open up a wrestling school right here in Little Franklin, Kentucky. And I went to my mom and I'm like, what are the odds? (laughs) I'm like, this is a song. And it took off from there. Yeah, now I've actually heard that story before because you've been a guest on my other show, Live and in Color with Wolfie D. So what's funny is you and Wolfie D were both at that show. Did you know that Wolfie was also at that Wrestle War 89? I did not. Yeah, he was there too. So you're the second person that I know for fact has been to that show. So that's pretty crazy. You know, now you got going pretty quick. So in 89 you start, but then in 91, I'm seeing you already wrestling people like Eddie Gilbert and people like that, man. So you got it pretty quick, apparently. Yeah. Well, I was just a few months in and, um, there just happened to be a promoter, uh, named Dale Mann out of Jamestown, Kentucky, who was running Bowling Green, Kentucky every Sunday night. Yeah. And uh, back then, uh, I I got brought up there to watch the show a few times or whatever. And uh, that's when Dale Mann was bringing in a lot of Memphis guys. Uh, Like, I remember seeing Dustin Rhodes there. Uh, You remember Black Bart? Oh, yeah. Uh, Bill Dundee, uh, George Weingroff, the Sheik, like all kinds of names and top talent. And, uh, the the global uh, Dallas Texas thing came about when I started up there for Dale, and I'd had a series of matches with Barry Horowitz, and he's the one that got me on the global uh, Dallas Sportatorium shows where I got to work Eddie Gilbert, and I think the other match was against Doug Gilbert as the Dark Patriot. Right. Right. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So global. Man, I remember seeing that on TV. I, I'm not saying I saw your specific match, Chris, but Global was all over TV. I remember that era, you know, because WCW, there was a lot of stuff on TV at that point because it was not necessarily the end of the territories, but it was coming up on that time. You actually, you had Global on there, but, you know, it seemed like Smoky Mountain and USWA were also heavily on your list around that same time, too. That was kind of the dream, right? I mean, wrestlers getting to work multiple quality promotions. I mean, w- tell us a little bit about that, man. Uh, well, USWA came about. Um, so I can't remember exactly. Somehow I got introduced to Eddie Marlin. And right. uh, at that time, I was living in Glasgow, Kentucky with my son's mom. Uh, we wasn't even married yet, but Eddie Marlin was running the uh, Glasgow National Guard Armory. And I think he got wind. There was a local wrestler there. You know, it was me. And he would come meet me and hand me posters. And I would go um, hang them up for him. And then, of course, he would book me on the show. And that's how I got started that early with 
USWA. And it'd be a short time after, of course, the Dale Man days, I had already met Todd Morton. And that's when uh, we put the tag team together of uh, Far Too Wild and started working for Burt Prentice up in Indianapolis. And then we sent pictures to Eddie Marlin, and that's when we came to USWA as a tag team. Yeah. Now, the Smoky Mountain thing was uh, through Tracy Smothers, which Tracy Smothers helped train me. So uh, when he, he got to Smoky Mountain, he wanted to bring me in as his little brother uh, for a tag team. Right. Uh, he had me train on the, the Rebel flag gear and, and all that, but Cornette said he loved the idea, but he just needed Tracy as a singles wrestler. But, you know, of course, I still got booked anyway. Right. Tracy, we could do a whole show about him. Could we not? <laughs> right. So yep. seeing some of these names and, and obviously I, you know, I, I'm familiar with those. And the one thing that you mentioned that, that kind of perked my ears a little bit was the Texas, uh, sportatorium out there. Now I've heard on other podcasts from other wrestlers and things that it had a very distinct feel and, and aura about it. Can you talk a little bit about that venue and then maybe compare a little bit of uh, some of the other like venues that you've that you've worked in you know talk about the difference between working that venue compared to say an armory compared to say something else like a tv taping or something well at that point in time you know i'm i'm just a 16 year old kid i had no <laughs> idea of the importance or the the history or the you know whatever about the the Dallas Sportatorium, sure. to me, I, it just seemed like a old dirty building, uh, yeah. dirty dusty locker rooms, and uh, the series of benches that walked down to the ring, and uh, of course it wasn't full like it was in the world class days, but back then I I just didn't know uh exactly where i was at and of course today i'm like wow i've got that notch on my belt i got to work dallas sportatorium I, I, I didn't know how important it was or how uh what an honor it was to be there sure sure no i understand that yeah so let me ask you this since we're talking about buildings you know i talked to wolfie d and of course the mid-south coliseum is wolfie's madison square garden right is the louisville gardens your madison what what in your opinion is your madison square garden huh well you know always growing up of course the memphis mid-south coliseum uh, i i'm like wow i'm here i'm where i watched it on TV as a kid, and then I go out, and I'm like, when you watch it, you know, from the mid '80s, you know, the place is sold out. But when I'm there, you know, it's like a third of the people. And I'm walking out to the ring, and I'm like, where's the people at? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But yeah. you know, I'm like, but this is freaking awesome. I'm in this building. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I guess I would say the Louisville Gardens uh, is pretty special to me. Because, uh, you know, that was another famous one. And I had a lot of series of matches there, uh, more so than I did in, in Memphis. I, I When I was doing some of the um, extra spots where it was WWF or not WWE, uh, one of my matches with Haku was in Rupp Arena in Lexington. I thought mm. that was pretty cool. Oh, that's very cool. Yeah, I've been I've been there for a couple of basketball games. That's a hell of a building. Yeah, and I also saw my favorite band Kiss there too. So excellent, excellent. Awesome. 
That is very cool. So you've wrestled there where excellent basketball is played. And at the same time, the biggest rock band in the world has played. So pretty good company, Chris. So you got up to the point of you and Todd working in a tag team, which if I were to describe far too wild to someone, I would describe it as if Bobby Eaton and Ricky Morton put a tag team together. Obviously, Todd being the Ricky, you being the Bobby. Do you feel like that's close at all? You know, you all were so daggone tight with each other, too. You know, your work, you couldn't see through it. Not a bit. Right. And, you know, uh, it's funny. Actually, when I talk to Todd here and there every now and then, I still always apologize to him because I was still so young and inexperienced. Here I am in the USWA, the promotion that I grew up watching. And I'm, uh, you know, I'm being presented on TV as a, as a tag team, like a, a main spot. And then I end up USWA tag team champion. We beat right. PG 13 and, uh, beat the Harris brothers and, all that. And I just, I just couldn't get a grasp of it. Right. And, um, and I, I, I tell Todd that I'm sorry. I think I cost us, uh, maybe some longevity down the road because I didn't look at it as long term. Right. What I saw when, what cut us short was, is that houses were so down that we were getting the bare minimum pay. Right. driving all these hundreds of miles and I'm barely bringing any money home and I'm gone all the time. Right. But I'm like, well, well shit, I can go back home. I've got Thursday, Shelbyville, Tennessee. Uh, it was a uh, Friday, Beaver Dam, Kentucky, Saturday, central city, Kentucky, and then Bowling Green on Sunday. I'm yeah. like, I get four days a week. I'm home every night and I'm making more money. It, no, I might not be on TV, but I'm still wrestling and I'm making more money. That's yeah. how it, I was looking at it. Right. I right. wasn't looking at it as being where I was at and that TV exposure, you know, might have helped me get a lot larger paydays down the road. I was just looking at now that I needed the money now. And that's why it ended up getting cut short. It's funny, like the responsibilities and necessities of life can sometimes stop you in your tracks. You're going to be a man about it. You're going to say, look, I've got a son. I've got a family to take care of. You know, I got to go with the right now versus the possible bigger future, you know? Yeah. You know, you, you don't know what the future holds. Right. And trust me, if, if, my uh, bank account would have been full at that time. I would have stuck it out. Right. Because you didn't yeah. you didn't get paid for going to TV, right? Working Memphis TV. A lot of people think, you know, you get paid to work Memphis TV. You don't, right? No, it, it was Monday, Memphis, Louisville, Tuesday, Evansville, Wednesday, Thursday and Friday was usually somewhere in Mississippi and Arkansas. Saturday morning TV, Memphis, and then Nashville Fairgrounds that night, and maybe Sunday off, yeah. then right yeah. back out. Right. And at that time, uh, houses were down, so you were getting a bare minimum pay of $40 a night. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. That barely, you, uh, that barely cover your travel, uh, especially to Mississippi. Right. 
And you're, you're I getting... sometimes me, Todd, Jamie, and Wolfie were uh, raiding the uh, ashtray for change to get a happy meal. Man. <laughs> and I'm like, we are tag team champions, and we're raiding for change. Right, right. So not exactly in that time, because that's a little more in your future. But in 94, though, some different opportunities came knocking. And that was with the letters WCW. And you can go on YouTube right now and see several of these matches where you worked Vader and you worked Harlem Heat as a tag team with Far Too Wild. And then you actually worked Stone Cold Steve Austin. Of course, he was stunning at that time. You worked Lord Steven Regal. Now, when you were there... Obviously, you were there as an enhancement talent, as they call it now. But what was your in for WCW? I was Rhett Rogers and Tom Morton. Okay, there you go. Yeah. And was there ever, you know, as a tag team of Far Too Wild, was there ever a promise? Of, I'm not necessarily a promise. Was there a hope of anything further at WCW? Or was it just kind of take what you get? It is what it is. It, it was kind of take what you get. I only teamed that one time with Todd, and I was hoping that something would come of it. But somehow, uh, I'm not sure who pushed for it, but they put Todd with a guy named Joey Mags as a tag team. Yeah, I remember and that. Yeah. Tag team. And, uh, you know, they, they got quite a bit of publicity at that moment. Yeah. Three of those names, you know, that, I mean, well, all the names that Jimmy, you know, threw out there, but, uh, the three big ones that jump out to me, obviously is, you know, Steve Austin, uh, Vader and, and Regal out of those uh -huh. three guys, was there ever an, first of all, was there ever an intimidation factor? Because I mean, Vader's huge, you know, and everyone else, you know, and Regal can just pretzel you and stretch you any way he wanted to. So was there any kind of like intimidation factor for you and also can you talk a little bit about like how it was working with those guys well the day i worked vader i was at the gym that day and i seen him running on the treadmill and i'm like god he's huge i said i pray <laughs> i never get a match with him and sure enough that night i got him I don't yeah. know what's more unbelievable seeing Vader on a treadmill or, or that timing. <laughs> I went to Rip and I said, I can't do this. You're going to have to get me out of it. I'm not wrestling him. He's going to kill me. <laughs> and he said, oh, stop it. You'll be fine. Just listen to him. I'm like, no, he, he's going to kill me. I've tried like hell to get out of it. But yeah. you know what? Uh, during the match, uh, he took care of me. And was real nice with me and uh, did not hurt me in the least. And after the match, he he took me back to Jody Hamilton and he gave me a big hug. And he said, you done great, kid. That was a good job. And he said, Jody, this kid done good. That's and awesome. And was as nice as he could be to me. Yeah, I always heard he was a really good, uh, a really good guy. Yeah. Did you know Harlem and, Heat from anything before? No. Uh, back then I thought they were pretty rude. Well, gotcha. Okay. Gotcha. They were still working under different names. I think at that time it was like Harlem heat, but it was their old Texas names. names, right? From yeah, the were, Texas yeah. names. But anyway, gotcha. I don't want to speak ill of them, but maybe they were in a mindset that young promising people are sometimes prone to get, especially if they've, you know, heard a lot of good things about themselves and they kind of maybe, you know, treat others like crap, you know, maybe that's big head case. syndrome. Yeah. Well, yeah. I was just a, a young, skinny, you know, pale white kid, 
you know, not much muscle tone or whatever. And, you know, these were huge guys and yeah. uh, just jacked to the gills. And, you know, that they, they didn't see any reason why they should give me any offense or anything. And, you know, I was nothing to them and they're getting their big push. I mean, I get it. But yeah. at the time I'm like, I'm like, man, these guys are mean. <laughs> so who were you the most i mean obviously you had a good story about vader there but you worked stone cold or stunning steve and you worked lord steven there out of those was the vader the best interaction overall for you well austin is pretty short and sweet i went up to him and i said um hey steve i said i'm the guy you got on the next taping he said oh okay cool he said uh he said i'll just call it out there don't worry he said don't worry about it i won't squash you <laughs> And I said, okay, and you know, he was as professional and easy as can be and gave me some offense and, you know, short, easy match. I was like, uh, just straightforward and simple as could be. He, he, he was awesome. And yeah. Regal, I had, I had several matches with him there and, uh, it, with, with him, it, it was easy and he would be in the back and he would go over stuff with me and, uh, he would show me how he was going to get me in the certain holds and, and everything. And he gave me some offense and stuff. I actually had Regal's, uh, tryout match back for the WWF. Gotcha. Okay. Wow. Okay. Yeah. 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 He's going to be the man's man or something. I remember A real that. man's man. Yeah. Yeah. You've got USWA in your belt right there. Okay. And then you've got global in your belt book and then now WCW you've worked some shows for them, but let's talk about smoky mountain. Cause you basically rode smoky mountain until there was no more smoky mountain, right? You, you were there uh, for a good, good long run, but at the same time, they kind of ran out of steam a little, you know, that's when I first saw you wrestle. And I don't know if you ever remember me coming up to you at saw. And I was like, Hey man, I was, I just wanted to let you know that I remember seeing you on smoky mountain and you were just just like, all right, dude, I'm figuring out this match in my head. L leave me alone. No, you weren't like that at all. I'm just kidding. But I didn't want to bug you too much <laughs> because, you know, you don't, you know, the veterans are doing their own thing. You, you had Wolfie in one corner. You had Reno in another corner. You had you in another section. You had Doug Gilbert. You know, all these different legends in that scene. And, you know, to me, I was just like, I don't want to bug him, but I also want to say, hey, dude, I remember you from Smoky Mountain and stuff. So how did you feel about Smoky Mountain? Oh, I loved it. I, you know, at, at the very first, um, I was given my very first match in, uh, wrestled a guy named Jeff Daniels. Oh yeah. I uh, Jeff. Yeah. And, uh, we had all this stuff laid out and was telling Cornette about it. And he said, guys, can you do it in four minutes? <laughs> and, um, I was put over and, uh, I was called Chris Comet then because I reminded Cornette of a young Bobby Eaton, of course. Yeah. But he never really brought me in for the singles thing. Well, uh, I was brought in and out and just used here and there when when needed. But there was this one specific TV tape, and I thought I was well on my way. Yeah. Um, he, he would do three to four TV tapings a night. And the first TV taping I was with, tag teaming with some other guy against the heavenly bodies. Oh yeah. And, and the match went, uh, I get in, I do offense with Jimmy Del Rey and Tom Pritchard, all offense for me. I tag out, boom, they beat the, my partner. Well, the second taping was 
they had me do a promo with Robert Gibson. And he said, you're going to be my partner tonight. Uh, We're going for the Smoky Mountain Tag Team titles. Uh, You know, if you keep your ears open and your mouth shut, maybe you and I can just be, uh, could be tag team champions tonight. (laughs) There you go. So the second taping, I'm teaming with Robert Gibson against the Heavenly Bodies for the Smoky Mountain Tag Team titles. Well, that ends up being a, a DQ. Well, yeah. the third taping, I get a singles match, and it's a match to put me over. Wow. And hmm. I'm thinking, oh, man, I am on my way now. Yeah. Well, the next set, of, uh, I do all the house shows that month. And, uh, you know, book three, four days a week. I'm working with uh, one or the other headbangers opening match, or I'm with uh, Dr. Tom Pritchard opening match. Yeah. So the next set of TV tapings, uh, it's like something went wrong. I was just used as enhancement again. And so I'm on this last loop of just, you know, uh, house shows. And the, the last show was Johnson city, Tennessee. And I get the booking sheet for the next month and I am nowhere on. And so I left there kind of like dumbfounded instead of going and asking, Hey, what's the deal? I just like tucked my tail between my legs and drove from there. And I like boohooed all the way home. But it ended up being a blessing in disguise that very next month is when checks started bouncing, and that's when they folded up. Oh, geez. Yeah, you just, you you know, in hindsight, obviously, you dodged a bullet there, but that's got to be, you know, almost heartbreaking, backbreaking and things, you know, when you see something like that. But, you know... So talk a little bit, like, I guess as someone who's never been in the business at all, you know, Jimmy, a little bit there and yourself, obviously, uh, you know, do you think that that's something that's a politic thing? We always hear about politics backstage, or do you think it was just a, we didn't need you and they saw the writing on the walls. So they went ahead and just kind of cut ties or what do you, what do you think happened there? You know, it's kind of hard to speculate. I really don't think it was anything, you know, ill towards me or, or anything negative. I mean, I was busting my tail on those uh, house shows with the headbangers and uh, Tom Pritchard. And I really believe, especially Tom Pritchard, if he didn't like working with me, he wouldn't have worked me that much. And he would have had me going before, you know, any of that happened. I just think maybe they were just trying to uh, take a look at new talent and, you know, see if anybody stuck out or whatever, then maybe they would have came back to me. I I, I don't think it was anything negative. Uh, It's just, you know. um, Just kind of is what it is, huh? Yeah. Yeah, 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 just homing, and I think they were just, he was just, uh, I think he was taking a look at Flash Flanagan at that time, too. Gotcha. Yeah. That's another name, you know, just all-star working dudes working sons of guns <laughs> you know and and i think i've heard that with your name so many times chris it's it's almost like it's your you know you're the headliner 
the working son of a gun, Chris Michaels. <laughs> so <laughs> we, you know, I don't want to yeah. go away from Jim Cornette too long. We're going to talk more about Jim and some Al Snow and stuff like that. You know, you end up at IWA Mid South after Smoky Mountain. You working for Ian there, and then you then you end up, you know, basically back in Nashville. You were working North American All Star Wrestling, which did it basically morph into Music City. Is that how it worked? Essentially, any any time in between, like USWA, Smoky Mountain, and all that, I always went went back to Dale Mann. Okay, yeah, because he was always busy. Uh, he ran Georgetown, Kentucky, on Sunday nights, and he would always have a uh, a Friday and Saturday. And uh, I would always hit up Chevyville, Tennessee, when I could on a Thursday. So I was still getting you know three four days a week then. And uh, it wasn't until about 97, I think, is when Music City Wrestling started. And, gotcha. Okay. Uh, I eventually got back in touch with Burt Prentice because he managed me and Todd in USWA. Right. right. And uh, um, he used me on a house show, a uh, packed out place in Westmoreland, Tennessee. And uh, I worked with Brickhouse Brown. Oh, and yeah. uh, we, we tore it up. And Bert asked Brick, he said, uh, uh, yay or nay? And uh, Brick said, yay, I want to work with him myself. That's awesome. And so, he, and so he brought me in, and I pitched the idea to Bert. I said, hey, since this is a new TV, a fresh start and all that, let me get away from this Michael's name and use my real name and, you know, build something with it. And he said, no, nope, no, nope, can't do it. Everybody already knows you as Chris Michaels. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, well, I'm like, it was shit. <laughs> <laughs> That's the proper response. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, well, let's go ahead and take a quick break real quick. When we come back, we're going to continue talking with the headliner and we're going to get a little bit more into some of the, uh, more, I guess, current work that you have done and uh continue with these great conversations here on give me back my pro wrestling the podcast that's right it's the talk of middle tennessee the channel you love to hate and the channel you hate to love it's brian turner from brian turner's vhs rehab and if you're looking for matches from wolfie d to jerry lawler to dusty Rhodes. And the team that put a pimp before your eyes and a goatee between your thighs, Booty Call and Athena, go to LostWrestling.com. See, I made it easy for you. Brian Turner's VHS Rehab. Booyah. Join me, Gene Jackson, for the Jackson Interaction Podcast, where I'll be doing one-on-one interviews with people from the world of professional wrestling, as well as stand-up comedy. You can get them anywhere podcasts are available in both video and audio form, but you can find them all at GeneJacksonPod.com. All right, we're back with the headliner, Chris Michaels. Chris, real quick here, we were talking about your your start in your early days, and then you stayed local in Kentucky and went to the OVW territory and and did work there and did a lot of training. Now, uh, real quick question, was that when um, uh, Les Thatcher was still around at that point? Uh, was it Al Snow? Who was who was kind of running things then? And uh, give us kind of a, I don't know, give us kind of the lowdown of what your time was like there. Uh, my old partner, Sean Casey, hit me up for uh, OVW, and it was uh, Jim Cornette in charge at that time. Okay, okay. And Danny Davis. 
Yeah, he was the original uh, 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 Dangerous Danny. I, I had to take the moniker later on. <laughs> What's funny, hey, Chris, Dan, I had Dean Hill read the commercial for our podcast. So Dean actually named Dan Dangerous yeah. Dan. So that's coming by it honest, right? I mean. Right. That's awesome. Yeah, I, awesome. I know. I was like, holy crap. Okay, I'll take that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause Dan Dan's the kind of guy he gives everybody a nickname. So I'm the professor because I'm trying to come up with all the, the specifics on stuff. My brother, he's an action figure guy, so he's the plastic chic. Dan was like, I can't make up a nickname of my own, and we just never came by it naturally. And so Dean Hill actually created his nickname. So it was perfect. <laughs> oh, badass. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I was like, okay, I'll take it. Um, yeah. Okay, so so Cornette was there at the time, and, and uh, Danny Davis. You know, you told us how you got in there. What is what was it like there? Um, and tell us about some of the things that you got to got to experience and, and and had to do while you were there. Well, my very first night in for TV, I wrestled Sean Casey on TV for the OVW Light Heavyweight Title, and uh, I win. And, uh, Good debut. so yes. <laughs> and so that feud with Sean Casey carried on for about a whole year of going back and forth with the OVW light heavyweight title. So now we got these other guys coming up and Cornette's needing them to work with some, uh, steady talent that, you know, been around the block for a little bit. So sure. he decides, to, so he decides to turn me heel and team me and Sean Casey together. And that's when we start working with Shelton Benjamin, Brock Lesnar, Batista, uh, Don Cena, Randy Orton, all those guys. Mm -hmm. Okay. And uh, we were swapping them in and out as tag teams and we were working with them. Now, of course, in between, like we was working with uh, the Suicide Blondes, Jason Lee and Derek King. Oh, yeah. Uh, like they, they built us up for a, at the Louisville Gardens one night, they had a NWA World Tag Team Title Tournament, and we came down to the last match with a uh, bag company. It was uh, Rick Michaels and David Young, I think. Okay, okay. Yeah. yeah. And uh, we put them over, but uh, we done some other stuff. But our main deal was working with those guys I just mentioned and um, getting them some ring time and you know some critique after the matches. Now I I remember seeing a um, I went to only one OVW, uh, produced event when I lived in the area and it was one of the Pillman Memorial shows. Um, but I did get to see, uh, the Leviathan, uh, Dave Batista and the prototype John Cena wrestle, uh, back then. So, uh, who knows? I might've actually seen you wrestle at one of those events, even, I guess, maybe. Chris, you know, I remember you and Sean Casey were bitter enemies and then, you know, Sean is working with Randy and you, you're like, I'm going to work you by myself. I'll work a, you know, a handicap match. I don't care. My partner's in the back, but I don't need him. I'm me. And so you're going in and then of course, you know, Sean turns on Randy and then you guys are a tag team at that point. So, you know, I know that's a little more specific about the history of your time there, but I got to ask this question who out of all those guys had it obviously. And who did you think was never going to make it, but did? Mm, I guess out of any of them, if I had to pick somebody that I wasn't for sure they got it, 
or because I didn't think they were that smooth or affluent in the ring. Uh, y'all going to think I'm crazy, but it was John Cena. Yeah. I was, I thought you might've said that actually, because he came from California for Rick Bassman's promotion and, you know, Samoa Joe started there and stuff like that. But then he comes to OVW and, you know, I think they saw a lot of money in him, right? I mean, they were probably had a a few hopes on in him. If I'm not correct. Right. Right. Yeah. Now, obviously you worked with Randy Orton. How about that? Did you see a lot in Randy? Did he get it? Obviously a third generation talent there or. Uh, I thought Randy had it from day one and I always liked his attitude. He was willing to learn and, um, you know, was always picking mine and Sean Casey's brain. And, uh, I I thought he had it from, from the get go. Yeah. When it comes to Randy, I've always thought um, when he was younger, when he was with OVW and now current incarnation, if you could, and I know this has been said on TV before, so I'm kind of stealing a line, but if you could build a professional wrestler, a current modern day professional wrestler, he's kind of the blueprint, isn't he? I mean, he just seems, like you said, he gets it. He knows how to play the crowd. He knows how much he has to do to really get the, the crowd's, reactions he just seems like um if you're going to build a franchise around someone randy's the kind of guy to do it with i think he's the absolute best yeah yeah that's what i was going to ask you yeah if you because a lot of people say that you know that he's the absolute best but talk about this i I don't want to just like put you on the spot here so i apologize but talk about the hard times that kind of ovw was as well you know it wasn't all you know you you were getting over and you're winning titles but it wasn't satisfying really. I mean, as far as from some of the guys you see coming in, especially the contract statuses and stuff. Well, the only downfall was the pay going up there, you know, there's little chump change, but it was on a Wednesday night and you're getting TV exposure. Now at the time, I didn't know how good a TV exposure I was getting, but it was getting me quite a bit of press and uh, I was getting some bookings off that TV. So yeah. it really did did pay to be there, and of course to be aligned with all those names, especially after all these years, you know the ones who um, became mainstream superstars, and to say I had a hand in with them, you know, has really put a good notch on my belt. Absolutely, dude, and it totally makes sense too because you know you know there there's a popular phrase right now that everybody says about giving something to somebody while they're living rather than memorializing them after they die. And that is give them their flowers. And, you know, you're the one of those guys that any day I, I hope you get your flowers as much as possible, my friend, because honestly, you know, you're those, one of those guys. I mean, even the Nashville guys like Plunkett and Dyron, they call you dad, in Nashville, you know, and it's done as a turn. I'm still used to being called kid. Kid, right. Exactly. (laughs) And then now all of a sudden I'm being called dad. I'm like, what happened in the middle? (laughs) (laughs) There ain't no middle, man. Time flies, brother. (laughs) Can I not just be uncle or something? 
<laughs> so so 2000 OVW you started and then that ran through 2002 and if you were at OVW at any time to be there of any kind of renown you were there at that time you know I know it's still continuing on with Al Snow to this day and and these things but you know in 2001 there was a big change in the wrestling industry talk about that from your perspective when one of the big two goes away Talk a little bit about WCW's demise at that point. Well, that was what kind of pushed me and Sean Casey out the door there is because they had all these guys released and they needed somewhere to send them. So they sent a bunch of guys to OVW and Cornette was uh, forced to do something with them. Yeah. And uh, so our bookings up there became less and less. And me and Sean Casey were bugging the shit out of Cornette like, hey, what's the deal? Well, work with these guys. And he's like, you, you don't understand. He said, these are just green jacked up kids and I don't want to get you guys hurt. Yeah. And he said, I just don't, I don't have any room anymore. He said, this was all dumped in my lap and I have no choice. Right. And, and that's what me and Sean Casey had come up with is that that's what pushed us out the door was uh, the WCW stuff. Yeah. That's a damn shame, but you know, did you get to work with any of the, any of the WCW guys before, before that happened then, before they, they came to the, uh, uh, the invasion angle stuff, I guess. No, I, I don't think me and Sean ever laid eyes on any of them. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. So it was like, we've got to move you guys out to make room for them. Literally. It was, really? yeah, it wasn't like you're tagging them in. It was, you didn't even see them essentially. Gotcha. Okay. So tell me a story about the Minnesota stretching crew. <laughs> Can you, you know, the Shelton Benjamin and Brock Lesnar. I mean, exactly. Dan and I, if we were a tag team, I would be crapped in my pants and Dan would be puking in a bucket uh, and we would both be scared to death because those guys are monsters. Jimmy, but, I wouldn't have even shown up, buddy. <laughs> so I would be doing it by myself. <laughs> Thanks, Dan. Chris, you would have helped me, right? <laughs> I hear stories. I heard an interview with Kamala one time and he was talking about wrestling against Andre. It was almost like a bear. It was like an animal strength. It was Brock in control. I know you'd worked a little with Leviathan and, and Cena was no joke, but when you get with Brock, was he in control of his strength being that he was a great, you know, amateur wrestler or was he a little out there too? talk about that team for just a minute? Uh, Shelton Benjamin listened and, and wanted to learn and, uh, was very easy and smooth to work with, uh, Brock, he just didn't get it. Uh, there'd be some things he'd question us on, and then Cornette would tell him, you know, shut the hell up, listen to these guys. And uh, it, uh, at times, it, it was like running into a brick wall. And uh, <laughs> I would always have him press slam me. And, of course, he, you know, I, I didn't have to give him no help at all. I was going to ask, uh, he, yeah. <laughs> no, nah, he, 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 he was as strong as anybody could be. I, my, I really don't think he was aware of how strong he was. Yeah. 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 Now, so, uh, Jimmy said there's three names, uh, uh, Leviathan, Dave Batista, um, uh, John Cena and Brock Lesnar. Who was the strongest out of those three that you worked? I mean, is Brock, is he really a freak? Uh, freak times 10. 
yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. They always talk about him hunting. I'm like, does he even use a weapon? Does he? J- I, I, I kind of imagine he just sits in a tree, drops on the moose from above, grabs it by the antlers, and just wrecks its neck and just drags it back home. Yeah, probably close. Yeah. So Wolfie tells me a story on the podcast sometimes of. You know, he's getting angry because, you know, Jim Ross is like, hey, Wolfie, we're looking at you. You know, don't shoot yourself in the foot. And he's on TV and he he's smacking himself in the head with the microphone trying to get color because he wanted to get color in this promo. Well, he can't get color, so he keeps smacking himself and they go to black, essentially. And apparently he gets ticked off about it. And as he's going to the back to get at Jim just behind the door is Brock Lesnar and Wolfie apparently kicks open the door and it very easily, he said, could have knocked into Brock Lesnar. And he said he was so glad that that did not happen. Yeah. So, okay. During this time, as well as the WCW guys coming in, you were actually making some, you know, time up in the WWF, you know, you were working guys like S.A. Rios and, <laughs> as I've heard the human vegematic Haku talk about that, man. Talk about, cause you were working on Jack when that was a show. Talk about working with SA Rios. Talk about working with Haku a little bit. Well, yeah, all, all the, uh, uh, spots for WWF then came through OVW and I was on the road full time with Tracy Smothers at this point. And my, my busiest years was 2000, 2002. And uh, th- this is when uh, me and Smothers would sometimes have two, three months without a day off. Oh, man. Hmm. Um, what, what I do is uh, they had WWF magazine. We go look the magazine and look at their upcoming dates. And if they were in driving range at all, I called Jim Cornette up and say, hey, can you put me and Tracy on Monday and Tuesday and such and such and such and such? And he'd say, yeah, let me call Kevin Kelly, see if they uh, – uh, don't have it full yet. And then he called me back and he said, yeah, you are booked. And so that's how we were landing a lot of these. And uh, as, uh, there's a funny thing about S.A. Rios is at that time, uh, Tony Gurria, one of the agents, was uh, putting together the card for uh, Jacked. And when he would see me, he'd say, oh, yeah, Chris, you work well with S.A., right? Yeah. Okay, you working him. Uh, I, felt, I felt like I had an angle going on with S.A. Rios on Jacked, but the finish was always the same, a moonsault. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's that's pretty much all anyone remembers S.A. Rios for, I think, that and introducing Lita. Yeah, yeah. Lita was with him. I don't so. think Lita was with him at that point. That, this was after. Oh, okay. Okay, okay. okay. Gotcha, gotcha. gotcha. What about Haku? I got to just say you know, you've worked some tough dudes through your whole career. You're rolling with a tough dude and Tracy Smothers. I mean, talk about Haku though. I mean, I know it was one match, but is there anything you brought from that match? Oh, when we were laying out the match, uh, he was making it very, very competitive, like giving me a lot of stuff. And Tony Gurria came by and asked what we had. And he said, i sorry, Haku, you can't, uh, you need more offense. And so we had to cut a lot of money out. And he just kept saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But uh, he, he worked well with me. Uh, the only thing that was really stiff and snug, of course, were his chops. Yeah. But other than that, you know, he, he worked well with me. And um, I, I 
told him if he when he gave me a big boot, I told him I could take this uh, pretty bump uh, throughout the bottom rope out to the floor. Right. And uh, he said, he said, yeah, yeah. And uh, we did that spot, and it came off great. And he loved it, and thanked me for taking it for him. And uh, no, no, he he was he was great to work with. Yeah, I always heard that he's he he can be a scary monster of a human being, but it sounds like, you know, he's one of those guys that if he knew that you were, tr- you know, you're, you're working for him, you knew what you're, you know, you're there for, uh, respectful of you for, you know, the business and everything else that he sounded like a, a pretty, a pretty decent dude though. Oh, he, he, he was awesome. He was amazing. Yeah. Very good. You know, he, walked up where he knew me and knew that, you know, I could go and I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, how does he know who I am? Yeah. And if I'm good and really threw me for a loop. Yeah, that's all, well, that's awesome to feel that respect like that. You know, you also yeah. weren't a drunk guy in a bar messing with him. That's usually <laughs> it seems like the stories about Haku. At that point, Haku had worked as the faces of fear. He had been the Islander. He had been King Haku. And now he had come back after the WCW closed. And he's got this huge afro. He's wearing the genie pants kind of thing. And he doesn't look like the Haku of old, but he did have a pretty cool look. But I do remember that spot. Ladies and gentlemen. Just type in Chris Michaels wrestling on YouTube and just pop some popcorn, maybe crack a cold one. Give me a hell yeah. And just chill because you're going to watch some incredible wrestling of Jerry Lynn. I mean, a million different people. But yeah, watch that Haku match for sure because that spot, that bump you took there was incredible. And so at that point, is that part of kind of your offering? to guys is like, Hey, I've got the ability to take this bump or do this certain spot for you to make you look like a million bucks. You know, are you developing that reputation at that point? You think, you know, I kind of wanted to, to get my name out there and all that, but the, the opportunities just came to few and far between for anybody to say, Hey, use this guy. He'll take a hell of a bump for you. Yeah. It just didn't really get, get to take off. Yeah. So you know, at that point, you know, obviously we've gone through OVW, you've wrestled all the Avengers and the superheroes and everybody from DC and Marvel. And then obviously you're working a ton in the the middle Tennessee, Southern Kentucky. I mean, all over really, but you know, specifically in the middle Tennessee, you really have a good long run with USWO and Tony Falk. Tell us a little bit about being there at the start of that for him. Well, um, Jay Stevens just sent me a match of mine and his for the USWO heavyweight title I'd never seen before. Yeah. Uh, from the stadium in there is a 45 minute long match. And I, I would say it's in as many times as I wrestled that guy, I think that's at least in our top five. I, I absolutely loved it. Now I'm waiting for my son to give me feedback on it now. Yeah. Uh, that's awesome. Yeah, I think it was 2006, I think. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it was some good stuff. You guys were killing it, and you guys that to say that that match is in the top five of your matches. So what's funny is Chase wasn't necessarily working at the Millersville saw at the time that Chris and I were working together, but Chase would oftentimes come visit the guys. He would be it was like he wasn't working a show that night or whatever, so he would come hang out in the locker room. As would Jerry Lynn, as would Derek King, as would anybody really that was in the area. And I hate to say this, man, but I would sometimes turn around and see Chase there and I'd be like, hey, Chris. Oh, man, sorry. And he would be like, it's okay. 
everybody does it. <laughs> so at that same time, you guys don't really look alike, but you both have this kind of, I don't know, I, it seems off topic, but kind of like this rock star look, you know, you've got the long hair, you, it's blonde. You guys gotta have this like rock star kind of swagger about you. Do you feel like you and Chase are maybe brothers at some point in a past life or? <laughs> well, he'll tell you when he got his start, uh, he's seen quite a bit of my jacked uh, matches and stuff. Yeah. And uh, he fell in love with the, uh, I had on motocross boots. Yeah. Right. And, uh, right. Now he did notice that I was taking some different bumps other than, some of the other guys and um he took a liking to me and when his first set of gear he went out and bought those same boots just a different color and uh said that he you know kind of wanted to emulate me yeah and uh as far as the whole bandana thing yeah i wore a bandana like probably about the same time he he was wearing one i probably wasn't wearing mine exactly like his but yeah sure. we kind of developed the same uh dress code over the years and uh look like we're a tag team or brothers or whatever like sometimes uh somebody calls me chase i'll, I'll say don't you cuss me <laughs> so, um, yeah we, we've gotten that a lot uh, yeah. you know, we just have the same taste in everything yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. same taste in music clothes uh style of wrestling and uh, wrestling gear, uh, colors, even, uh, we, yeah. we just had the same taste in everything. It seems like. Right. Right. And you know, Rado's Rivergate. <laughs> I remember hearing a lot. <laughs> we won't get into all that, but you know, so obviously you and I meet while we're working at saw the funniest thing is one night you are working and I was, I think it's gotta be Kevin Weatherby. And, you know, Saul was picking up some good little steam right in there. I remember Victor and Tasha were managing you. Victor is going to be a future guest on the show. Thank the world of Victor. And, you know, you guys were getting some heat. I was working with Plunkett and Haskins for them. I was managing Dyron some. You, however, were working Kevin Weatherby in a first blood match, maybe. Does this sound right? Or you were just going to get color? And for some reason that night, and you may have pounded a tall boy or two, we won't need to say that, but you could not get color at all whatsoever. And you were, I mean, do you, was it Kevin that was having the issue or was it you? I cannot remember. Do, do you remember any of that? I okay. want to say, I think it's Kevin. Cause, um, that's there's where I had that cage match with the ladder in it with chase and I bled yeah. like a stuck hog. And then we had the, um, tables, ladders and chairs match. I bled like a stuck hog. Yeah. Um, uh, that the old timers say, um, uh, uh, two BC powders and a couple of beers and you'll bleed all night long. Yeah. And yeah. that was my motto on that. I want to say it was Kevin having the issue. You're probably right because I do remember you bleeding quite often and, and it didn't seem to be an issue. So I think you're right. I think Kevin probably just didn't want to go down far enough. Right. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you were one of the best wrestlers in that scene. And I, I will say that you know, as a manager, I will say that as not only a gimmick, but also 
real life. You were known as one of the guys to be in a match with, to put in a program. To If you're a promoter, you want to have the title or be in a program. At that time, though, were you getting any looks from any? Like, was TNA trying to talk to you? Were you talking to TNA? Anything like that at that point? Or were you just kind of riding the, the outlaws, as they say? You know, I, I did TNA in 2002, and uh, that also was short-lived. Uh, me and Rick Michaels uh, right. did a pay-per-view with Storm and Harris for the tag titles, and then we were supposed to, to do a thing with Chase and Cassidy as the hot shots. Well, Rick Michaels ends up getting hurt, and they dropped the whole tag team thing together. I was brought back for a couple of singles and then never brought back. But uh, as far as Dan, I was just kind of riding it out. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. So, you know, I told Dan about this. I was like, you know, Chris Michaels, headliner, longtime veteran, known him, great guy, is willing to come on the show. And then he's like, okay, awesome, awesome. I'm liking it. Keep going, keep going. And then I perk his ears really when I start to talk about your time and experience at the Performance Center and especially one of the teams that you really, you know, you you found a liking to and also probably helped quite a bit. So start us off by talking about the Performance Center and the options you got there, and then maybe talk about a certain 2.0 or something to that effect. My, my son always does my emails, and I'm sure he had told me he reached out to them, but I didn't remember. But I remember I was, uh, he hit me up and he said, call me, 911. I thought something was wrong with him and one of the grandkids. Oh, no. You're going to Orlando. I'm like, "Uh, we're going to Universal Studios? (laughs) He's like, no, you're going to the Performance Center. And all that. Well, I go, and this first go around, the the classes and everything was kind of more structured or whatever. Like, I had to be in so-and-so's class at a certain time and the other so-and-so's class at a certain time and then uh, help go over the film with uh, certain ones and this and that and the other. That was kind of like a schedule. Uh, now, the second go-around, it wasn't so much. It was me and uh, Kenny Dykstra. We just kind of mm-hmm. floated around and helped out uh, when needed and when we could. But uh, I-, I think is. Those 2.0 boys, they had remembered me from somewhere and talked to me quite a bit. And uh, we were watching film, and I critiqued one of their matches and so forth. Uh, I I just saw them not long ago. I went to the AEW show uh, at Municipal. And uh, me and Chase did, and we were kind of talking with everybody uh, about maybe taking a look at us as a tag team. Oh, that would be excellent. Oh man, I'm getting fired up. Yeah, I get. Uh, I, I don't know. They, they've got a pretty good tag team right now called FTR. That would be a a hell of a run, wouldn't it? Oh yeah, those, those boys are badass. Yeah, yeah, they are absolutely. They uh, if they don't make whatever Hall of Fame you throw people in at the end of it all, then then it's not valid at that point. Yeah, yeah. So. This is the obligatory question we always ask everyone on every show, and it's normally Dan asking it, mm. but we are admitted fans of Dan Housen. You know, Dan loves him pretty much yeah. all the way around. I appreciate certain parts of his character and especially what I think he could be. 
what is your thoughts on on Mr. Housen? I just don't understand what he is or what he's there for. Yeah. Uh, I haven't seen the guy wrestle. Uh, I mean, I, I guess every show needs a character of some kind or whatever. Uh, sure. Doesn't matter if he has wrestling talent or not. Sure. Uh, I, I guess it seems that he's pretty over for whatever reason. Yeah. I mean, I, I would knock him. I, I, I just don't know what, what, what it is about him that everybody likes. I, me myself, I, I don't, I don't, I don't get the gimmick. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest issue, man, is they are counting on people not to to denigrate you at all, Dan, but they are counting on people like you to Mm -hmm. love him already. And there's no story to him. There's no, I mean, they could start over with his story if they wanted to. He came out of a cave in Transylvania. If you want, you know, whatever something. Yeah, I agree. They need to, I mean, everyone that's, that's a big fan of, uh, of Dan Housen uh, picked it up from Indies or the internet or, 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 you know, his blog or his vlog rather. Uh, but you're right. I think they need to work on developing the mythos, the whole story of, who he is and why he looks like he does and what he does and why he curses people and so on and so forth. Um, I think if they did that and if they did it right, it could be one hell of a, of a gimmick and a run for him. I mean, they have a dinosaur wrestling for him. So, I mean, how could, you know, I, I really think that they could make Dan Housen work, but I think you, you guys are both right. I think that it needs to be, and Mike, Mike Jablonski, I know you're listening. Uh, I think you're all right where you say there needs to be some explanation behind that character. Totally. So, okay, if you had Dan Housen, Chris, what would you do with him? He's yeah, hugely, I don't know. He's hugely over, you know. You've got some sort of internet kind of buzz about him, you know. My theory, and I'm just I'm trying to lead you into answer my question. <laughs> Chris, but I think he would make a great manager. Now, again, I know managers aren't bringing home the paydays that the guys in the ring are, and that's understandable. But at the same time, I feel like seeing him as a manager, almost like a evil Jimmy Hart. I know that's big, big name to put him with there, but something to that effect that could kind of bring out that element and not require him to, you know, almost like a, a a newer father, James Mitchell. And again, I know that's big shoes to fill, but I don't know. I could see him more as a manager, but we'll get into that another day. So, <laughs> you know, I see him pop off from underneath the ring and show up in precarious spots or whatever. I, you know, I guess you know he pops out from under the ring, and then um, you know that causes a distraction. You know, uh, the dude gets rolled up, finished one, two, three. Or, you know what I mean? Uh, he ends up being a distraction, but not just for a certain guy or whatever, just different matches where they're like, right. what the hell is he? And what's he doing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like the, like the, the zany kind of mystery behind him. But, um, as we record this last night, AEW had their blood and guts, uh, a show. And basically he's been, he's in a program with Billy Gunn's kids. And now he has to wrestle, uh, those guys and, uh, a member of the acclaimed and he brings out FTR to wrestle with him. And I'm like, look, I love FTR and I love Danhausen, but how in the hell are these two 
oil and, and water uh, groups or gimmicks, how are they going to work? And it's like, is he just the guy that roams around the back now and just like, hey, I'll make you a deal or this or that? Like, like you guys said, what are we going to do with him? You know, what, what's, what's the direction with him? That's what really blows my mind. <laughs> you know, we can talk about Dan Housen another time. This is oh, the yeah. Chris Michaels episode. So Chris, you know, obviously we thank you so much for coming on the show with us. Oh, tell me about it. Whew. One of the biggest oh, things that I want to put up. Oh, of course, man. But I want you to talk a little bit about indestructible. Now, the reason I was able to ask you a lot of these questions is a, I know you B I know people who know you and have talked about you a lot, whatever, but I actually bought your book about a year ago on Amazon, which it's available. Link is in the notes of this show right now. And you can also go to Chris's social media pages, which I'm going to ask you to tell it in just a second, Chris, that you can get one autograph straight from him, but talk about your book, man, dude, you wrote a book brother. (laughs) Yeah. Um, you know, it's just from knowing certain people, uh, you know, luck of the draw. Uh, my lawyer knew a guy. Uh, my lawyer's talking to me about Tracy Smothers' book, and I just made a joke, and I said, boy, could I write one? Ha, ha, ha. And he <laughs> said, well, I can make that happen for you. I'm like, you kidding me? He said, no, I, I really can. And uh, he told me what to do, uh, get the notebook, just write it all down, and uh, take it from there. And it it took me about a good year to finish it. Uh, believe it or not, as small a book as it is, but uh, you know, I, I just wrote what what came to mind and what I can remember and what happened to me and how I remembered it and the yeah. time frame. Right. I went from there and it got rewritten, of course, with uh, better punctuality in English. <laughs> but, uh, it happened relatively quick, and uh, I'm very proud of it and, you know, blessed to say that, hey, I wrote a book. That's exactly. awesome. I, I barely read a book within a year. So, I mean, that's, you know, for you to be able to write one within a year, brother, that's that's pretty damn good. I'm impressed with that. Well, you know, I bought it once I heard about it, obviously. And then when I bought it, I read it within a week and you know, my, it's just a really good quality book and it's a quick read, but it's not, it's not a short book per se, but it's, it's a quick read because you don't put it down. That's what I enjoyed about it. So definitely buy indestructible. I I would say buy it from Chris to get that autograph, right? That's the best way to get it. Absolutely. Hey everyone, this is Shane from Insane Shane's World. I release wrestling figures of enhancement talent, mid-card wrestlers, and wrestlers that you never thought would have a figure available. So if you are interested in adding a really cool and rare figure to your collection, then don't hesitate to contact me at shamtheman73 at gmail.com. That's S-H-A-M, the man 73 at gmail.com. You can also join my Facebook group. Just search Insane Shane's World. This is the big picture, Michael Jablonski. Don't forget to tune in every week to Jablonski's Pissed Off on the Mike Jablonski's Pissed Off YouTube channel. The fuck from Willis Park. He's gonna tell you all about it. He doesn't care what you think. You're gonna hear all about it.
before we let you go, uh, for the end of the show and such. So Jimmy knows, you know, I've always, I've been a lifelong wrestling fan and it's been, I I've had the opportunity to meet a few wrestlers, but it's usually a, Hey, how you doing? Snap a photo. Hey, this, that, or whatever. Um, I mean, I did deliver a, a, a diamond cutter on a friend of mine and a concrete parking lot in front of DDP once, but that's nor here nor there. Uh, I always relish the opportunity to ask pro wrestlers, a few questions that I always had as, you know, as a kid or, or whatever. And if you don't mind, I'd like to rapid fire you a couple quick questions. If that's all right. Absolutely. First and foremost, who is your favorite pro wrestler of all time? Uh, that, that would come in a couple of categories because okay. as a really young kid growing up watching it, then it was uh, Jerry the King Lawler. Oh, yeah. Sure. And, then, and then right before I got started and all, it, 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 it would have to be uh, Major Board Ric Flair. Sure. Woo. Makes sense. Okay. Uh, next question. When you first started in the business, did you get to, uh, how did you come up with your ring name? Did you, I mean, obviously it's, you know, uh, some promoters will give you something or whatever. Did that happen? Did you get input on your name? Uh, the Chris Michaels name, uh, came from the promoter I started out with named Dale Mann. He always did a parody of, um, names and, uh, tag teams and such like, he had a junior rock and roll express and that was Todd Morton and, uh, his name's Rick Valentino, but he was called Rick Gibson then. Yeah, sure. And okay. he stuck me, me and another guy together named Ronnie, Ronnie Travis, which he was supposed to be kin to Billy Joe Travis, but he said, Chris, we'll call you Chris Michaels. And cause we wore the, uh, uh, the zebra skin colors and bandanas and stuff. And he said, we'll call you guys the young rockers. So nice. that's where Michael came from. Nice. Okay. Nice. Makes sense. And uh, so I guess last question would be, you know, first of all, you've had a hell of a career and I believe, um, workers like yourself that can be called, I guess, a good hand or the, the working man or the journeyman or whatever you want to say, I believe you and that class of wrestlers absolutely should be heralded because for example, we may not get 20 years of John Cena. If it wasn't for people like you, we wouldn't get, you know, uh, X, Y, and Z, whatever it may be because of people like you and what you do. So first of all, first and foremost, as a lifelong wrestling fan, thank you so much for being that enhancement talent or that behind the scenes guy that makes those people every week. I, I, Honestly, from the bottom of my heart, appreciate that. Um, but my question is, you. well, you're welcome. Uh, <laughs> but my, 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 my question is, I guess, what do you want going forward? You know, what do you want to still do in the business? What do you want to, what kind of legacy do you want to leave? Do, I mean, do you want to train? Do you want to start a promotion? Do you want to, uh, one more match, one more match? You know, what do you, at this point, what do you, what are you thinking? You know, several things, I guess. Uh, you know, I'm 49, pushing 50. 
Okay. But uh, I'm playing every day as if I'm going to get a call tomorrow and still try to look the part and be in shape and sure. have nice gear and all that. You know, no, you know, at my age, I know I'm at the tail end and it's a young man's sport now. But to me, that, that gives me reason to get up in the morning and all that, you know, saying what if and all that. Uh, I would still like to work with quality talent. I would like to uh, branch out of Kentucky, Tennessee, and hit some other states up, get my name out there again, sure. uh, work some different states and different talent and so forth. But I'd say the end game, uh, I don't know. If, if I had if I had the money, yeah, I would love to start my own deal and do things my way. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be awesome because you've seen the right way to do it and the wrong way to do it, you know, in your in your career time. And, and I, you know, I think there's a lot – there needs to be a lot more the right way to do it out there. Now, as far as training people, I really think my patience level is not there for that. Sure. Uh, also <laughs> – my daughter is 16 years old, and she has more of a passion for it than I do, or maybe ever have, and she's dying to break into the business. Okay. So uh, I would say um, I would love to help her get her start, too, as well. I wanted to go to a good quality school or whatever. I don't want Joe Blow down the street just because he has a ring, you know, working with him. I, I want her to work with uh, – a good quality school who could promise her uh, steady work or to be looked at when she's done and yeah. good safety, good, good safety, uh, uh, training and working. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Push your socials, brother. Where can they find you? Uh, you know, I, I have the typicals. I have Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I think they are all under, I think Facebook is just under Chris Michaels and, uh, uh, Twitter and Instagram is under Chris Michael 73. Yep. Okay. And we'll have that information in the show notes as well for them, Chris, so they can get a hold of you through there, man. You know, Chris definitely appreciate you coming on brother. We'll get you on in the future and maybe watch some of those matches we talked about with us or something like that. So really appreciate you making time for us, buddy. Oh, thank you for having me on. I'm truly grateful. Yes, brother. Uh, uh, my last question would be, are you a, a Cats fan or a Cardinals fan? Uh, college? Yeah, well, being from Kentucky, do you root for uh, Louisville or, or UK? Man, I don't root for no college teams. The only the only <laughs> sport I watch is the NFL. Oh, yeah. okay. All right. And well, who's your the... team? Where you're at, then you got a couple of choices. Who's your team? Man, I, I can't tell you. You're going to laugh at me. No, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> Well, this has been since the seventies. Okay, yeah. okay. So the Cowboys. I wasn't a ninety bone wagon jumper. Yes, the Dallas Cowboys. All right. Well, if 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 you're old enough to remember when uh, they weren't uh, a bunch of pansies, then that's okay with me. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. That's all right. I was a Tampa fan for a long time, so I understand sometimes when people laugh at you. Yeah. Right. Me and, you know, of course, my son followed in my footsteps, and um, we've been talking about uh, we got to find us a new uh, secondary team to cheer for. Yeah. And he's something more than all. He's going to root for the Chargers this year. Okay. okay. Yeah. I'm a Bengals and a, and a Tampa fan. So I almost got to see him. Uh, I, I don't know what I would have done if I'd have got to see him uh, this year in the playoffs. Uh, so I'm glad it didn't, it didn't happen. 
Right. And I'm always going to be tightened up, baby. So we'll go with that. <laughs> All right. So as we wrap things up, we definitely want to thank Chris for being on the show. It was amazing. Uh, we'll see if you go over, uh, Jablonski here for, to, to hold the, uh, the podcast title, yeah. uh, when everything, uh, pans out. If I can't beat Jablonski, maybe it's time to call it a day. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Oh, great. We started some heat. <laughs> Jimmy, go ahead and, uh, and throw out the socials and the thank yous. Go ahead and get your shit in kid. Well, thank you so much, Chris, for coming on. Of course, we're give me back my pro wrestling podcast. We're at GMBMPW on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all that good stuff. Like Chris said, he's at Chris Michael 73. Go buy his book. You know, that's the important part. So Absolutely. we thank you. Yeah. Just hit me up, man. I'll, I'll get it to you. All right. Thanks, Chris. See you, buddy. Thank you so much. With a tear in my eye, this is the greatest moment in my life. This has been a James Rock Street production.